I, I don't know why you clapped for me. Other than you, you just like me, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know, or you're just generous, or you're, you're one of those A for effort kind of crowds. But I know why you clap for Colin. And see, when I got up here, you saw me hop on the kit and, and just give it my all and, and just work hard. And I, I mean, I'm kind of sweating, so forgive the, my armpits. And I, I was doing my best. I didn't mean to uh, the, the thing where it got aerial. Uh, that wasn't on purpose. That was just me doing my absolute best. Now, you guys clapped, but you could have only put up with that for so long before you're like, yeah, I'm out of here. This is annoying. And I could have only done it for so long before I would have had to tap out as well. But then Colin got up. And he knows what he's doing. And he started to hit the kit. He was doing the same thing I was, but there was a different response from you guys. It, it wasn't a look of confusion. It, it wasn't a stressful thing going, what in the world is happening right now? As Colin did it, one of the things that was beautiful that happened is it actually started to bring joy to the room as we got in sync with him. See, the only difference between what Colin did and what I did is what I want to talk to you about today. This thing called rest. See, both of us hit the drums. We're hitting the drums. The difference is the amount of time that we stopped hitting the drums. And see, I think for a lot of us, when we think about our own personal lives, if you had to say, which of those two drum solos does your life most look like? Most of you would be on my team. Relentless, you're going hard. I mean, like you're doing everything you got. I mean, it may be stressing some people out around you. Your kids are like, oh, mom's in one of those moods. Go upstairs. Um, they're like, they have like a, a code word at your house for when you're in one of those moods. Um, and, you're, and, and sometimes you lose one and you're just doing all you can. You're a one-man leg in a kicking contest. You're just doing everything you can to get it all done. But the life we want is a life like Colin Solo. One where it has ebbs and flows. One that has rhythm to it, that stops at the right time, one that would actually bring joy to those who encounter it. And what I want to talk to you about today is stopping, resting, and the power and potential it has to actually change our lives. So let's pray and dive into his word. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you said in your gospel that you were the Lord of the Sabbath. You're the Lord of rest. And I pray for those who came in today, God, weary, spent, worn, thin, candle burning at both ends, who today, to simply put it, they are tired. I pray that they can come to you and find a real rest. In your name, Jesus, amen. So I don't have to go into great detail to explain to you why the way we're doing things is broken. Because most of you already realize this because you walked in today tired. You walked in today on less than six hours of sleep. You walked in today having arguments. You walked in today with a, a light, a check engine light on in your car. And you walked in today maybe with a check engine light on in your heart. 
See, we live in this fast-paced world, and as we've been in this economic atheist series, we, we've made it very clear that the idea of pursuing the American dream has a lot of us kind of burned out. Because as soon as we get that house and that kid and that wife and that white picket fence, there's always some other kid that we want our kid to be like. There's always a bigger white picket fence and a bigger house and a better looking wife. And there's all these things that we think we need more of. I don't want a better looking one. She's, better, she's the best looking one. But I think there, as I've processed through this and prayed through this, Today, as we talk about rest, there's three groups in particular that I found heavy on my heart. And our, our, our staff team, we, we even prayed and lifted these three specific groups up. And I, and I think um, you may or may not find yourself in one of these categories, but I think it nails almost everybody. The first group is this, is young people, teenagers, college students. You've been on our heart this week as we've been thinking about rest. Because the reality is for, for teenagers, you guys have grown up in the most safe time ever. Like, it is so safe. Your parents can see where you're at on your phone. They know everything. It's the safest time ever, physically speaking. Yet we see the rates of anxiety and suicide higher than it's ever been in teenagers. It's rare for a teenager to graduate high school and not at least know someone, whether it's at their school or at a school in their city, who commits suicide. The number one thing that's killing our young people is themselves. So our heart breaks and goes... Okay, they don't even have careers and jobs yet, but something is wearing them out to the point where the only option is give up. The other category we found ourselves praying for is there's people kind of in that like 25 to 35 gap. And this is where I find myself in. Where you're in that season of life where it's like, you better build something. You better build something worth showing off. You better build something of some sort of significance. You're, you're at midlife. Make something of yourself. Why don't you have kids yet? Why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have three kids yet? Do, have you started retirement? Do you have life insurance? You better have all these things, and you better start climbing the ladder, because this is your best years of work. And then the other group of people we found ourselves praying for are those of you who made it through high school, climbed the ladder, raised the family, and you thought you were going to get to that phase in life where you were going to begin to actually be able to take a rest and to kick your feet up, and to relax a little bit. But now you're dealing with the stress and the anxiety of, of trying to figure out, what do I do with this aging parent? And they raised me, and now I'm having to take care of them. And some of you are in that boat where you're going, I, I raised my kids. I got them out of the house. And now their kids are back in my house because they haven't figured out how to do this thing that is called life. And now you're having asked to give more of you than you were willing to give. And you have less of you because of your age. And you find yourself tired and worn out. And on top of that, kind of pounding the table and looking at God and going, it wasn't supposed to be this way. And we're worn out. And I think as we uh, study just kind of our society and our culture, there's really kind of three reasons that boil down to why we're kind of in this state of just manic pace. We never rest, and people are literally working themselves to death. The first reason is this. Jobs are very insecure. Some of you sitting in this room, you will not be in here six months from now because your job will have lost, and you will go and get another one somewhere else. It's a transient society. And on top of that, with jobs not being secure, 
over the course of the last 50 years, the income gap has greatly grown. So the guy who's at the top of the org chart, the executive or the C-suite or the president or whatever the company, now he's making more than ever before. And the gap between the entry-level employee is so much greater. And because of that, because his salary or her salary is so much more, along with that comes the idea that if I'm making this much, I've got to work this much harder. I have to pour out myself this much more. I have to be willing to sacrifice this much more time with my family because this is where I'm at. And right below him is a young whippersnapper who would love to take his job, would love to take her job and get the seat in that office. And then you have your people who are kind of on the lower level. And because the gap is so big in pay, they can't afford to raise their families. And so they can't just have that job. They've got to have that job and another job and another job to be able to make ends meet. The gap is huge. Another reason why we're at this crazy frantic pace is technology. It used to be you had to go into work and ask your secretary what was on the agenda today. Or go in and have a meeting in the morning to go, what are we doing today? But now it's all on your phone. And you can get a work email while you're eating dinner with your kids. The whole world is buzzing in your back pocket. And it never stops. We have to keep up. We have to make that sale. We've got to reply now or we'll forget. Another reason is 50 or so years ago, our society was more so defined and we got our meaning in our life through our family, through being a godly father, through, through being a man of integrity, through the family that we raised. And now our identity has become defined by what I want and whether or not I can attain what I want. And all of this has created this dangerous concoction that has people burning at both ends more stressed than ever before. And so what I wanted to do today is I want to take us to the creator. I want to take us to God, the one who made us, who made the life that you have. And to say, God, can you please teach us, help us? We, we need to learn something because what we're doing isn't working. And it would be insane of us to just try to go harder. And it would look like what I did. And my hope is that you can find a way to get into God's rhythm. We can see his rhythm. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. We see God start this rhythm. Genesis 2, 2 shows us this rhythm. He's, he begins to create things. And after every uh, large thing he creates, he takes a second and he pauses and he says, it is good. He makes some more stuff. It is good. He goes through that. He's not taking a break because he needs a break. He's taking a break to revel in what he just made because it is good. Then in 2, 2 of Genesis, we see that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. That word rested is where we get our word Sabbath or Sabbat. And God's not resting again there because he's tired. God is resting to take a moment and take in the glory of what he has just created. And so what you need to understand here is that God has woven into the rhythms of creation rest and stopping. That's part of his rhythm. That's part of how he works. And God, as he created people and, and got them on earth and they started to do their thing, he wanted this to be part of who they were as well. We see this play out. One of the main times we see this is when he sets the nation of Israel free. And they're wandering out in the desert 
And they're really getting ticked off at Moses, the guy who was leading them, because in Egypt they at least had food, and they're out here and they don't have food. And, he's, and God says, look, I'm going to provide for you. He sends this stuff called manna. And it's just bread, just carbs from the sky. Yes, Lord. And they eat it. But he only sends stuff out for one day at a time. That's where we get this idea of my daily bread. And then he said, on day six, I'm going to send enough out for two days. I want you to gather enough for two days because I don't want you to even have to go outside and get bread. I'm going to have enough for you. You rest on day seven. They stunk at following that rule. They were up there just gathering. They're just trying to put it all in their pantry, and God, it molded and everything else. So it didn't work. And so God said, okay, uh, you're not listening. I'm going to give you a, a legit rule, commandment. And he takes Moses up this mountain, Mount Sinai, and that's where we get the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is the one we're going to read right here. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. If, it's, if you're in your teaching notes, you got it right there. But this is what it says. God's given them these rules for living. Again, this is how we stay within the favor of God. Obey this. I'm, I'm setting some clear guidelines, boundaries. Stick within this. Exodus 28 through 11, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male, or your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Um, key word, nobody. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, we kind of can get our mind around that first portion of this commandment. But that last sentence, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, is kind of confusing to go, okay, well, God, I'm used to the things that are holy being like the Ark of the Covenant and being a temple and being even a person or a place or these types of things. But God, you're making a day holy? An, an, an aspect of time is becoming holy. It says he blessed it and made it holy. And there's things that can help us understand what the Sabbath is for and the reason God put it in place within this verse. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you, write this down. I'm going to help you understand why God gave his people and us as his people this thing called the Sabbath. The first reason is synchronization. He wanted them to be in sync with the rhythms to which he created them. It's the same deal. Like I could put a drum set over here and with a lot of practice, me and Colin could play something and actually get in beat and we would be in sync. He says, you're my people, you're my kids. I want you to be in sync with me because it will be best for you. And he gives them these two words here at this last sentence. He says, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let me explain this to you based off these two words. you got a Bible and you want to underline stuff, underline the word blessed and underline the word holy. Let me explain something to you. The word blessed there is a word of giving. So God is saying, I am going to bless you. It is a gift I'm going to give. That's what bless entails. So that's what he means when he says, I'm blessing this day. On the other side, he says, I'm going to make this day holy. Holy implies taking. See, for me and my wife, she is holy unto me. That means she has been taken out of circulation. She cannot be anybody else's but mine. For you, if you, you have that coffee mug at your house that you don't let anybody use, you're laughing. I'm good, glad, glad you have that. And by taking it out of circulation, what you have done, whether you realize it or not, is you have made that holy unto you. 
And what God is saying here is I want you to take the seventh day and I want you to understand that I am blessing it and making it holy unto me. What he is simply saying here is the Sabbath is addition by subtraction. I'm going to give to you by taking from you. Now we hear that and we go, well, God, I don't like your math. That doesn't make, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. How I would have more by having less. But God says, I can do more in six days than you can do in seven days. Reminder, I'm God. So from the onset, he says, I want to align my creation's heart and rhythm of their life up with how I worked in creation. So the first reason that God made the Sabbath is synchronization. We see the next time that God implements this Sabbath command in the book of Deuteronomy. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. It's Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Going through verse 14 or 15. So he's talking to the same group of people here, this nation of Israel. And a large portion of them, they weren't around the first time that Moses went up to the mountain and got these Ten Commandments. And if they were around, they were too young to remember it happening. And so they're on the they're inches away from entering into the promised land. And God kind of says, I've got to give you a refresher course to make sure that you are aligned with me again. And he gives them the commandments again. And this is how, and notice as I read this, how this command is the same thing, but it has a different emphasis. See if you can pick up on what's different from this second time he gives this command than it was the first time. Chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, do any, neither of you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your female or male servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or of any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing, or a foreigner residing in your town, so that your male or female servants may rest as you do. Lean in. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you, observe the Sabbath day the big difference between these two is in the first set of giving the ten commandments and, and giving this commandment to obey the sabbath god roots the reason for the sabbath in the creation story he says i want you to obey the sabbath so that you can get in sync with the rhythms of creation that i did when i created it for the second time he gives him this he's not tying into that where that first one was tied into the creation story he says now i'm tying it into the exodus story and so the second reason that he gives and institute this thing that is the Sabbath is for liberation. He says, I want you to understand that the Sabbath is a reminder that you have been liberated from the bondage of sin and slavery. And you are no longer slaves. I have set you free with my mighty hand and my outstretched arm. He says, you're mine and you're free. Now the nation of Israel... They had similar tendencies that we have. And it's to become defined by what you do. And for the last four generations, the people who made up God's chosen tribe, his chosen people, they had lived in bondage and slavery to the evil empire that was the Egyptians. And their whole existence revolved around one thing. Bricks. 
Their existence revolved in their identity and their self-worth. All of it was summed up in the number of bricks they could make. Their jobs as slaves was to build the storehouses for Pharaoh. And so if you could make a lot of bricks, you're valuable. If you could not make a lot of bricks, you are valueless. And see, God knew that he could take his people out of Egypt, but it was going to be more difficult to get Egypt out of his people because there's a tendency to be defined by what you do. And so he gives them these commandments to say, I need you to understand that there is a slave master within you in the same way that there was a slave driver outside of you while you were in Egypt. And it plays out in our own lives like this. Because we have no longer an Egyptian person with a whip standing alongside of us. If that's how your work environment is, call OSHA. Uh, that's, that's not good. But we have the same thing. And ours is on the inside. Because hear me, guys. We have this innate ability to just want more. More stuff. The, the great enemy of, of the Christian heart is not atheism. It's not liberalism. It's not consumerism. It's not Islam. The great enemy of the Christian heart is consumerism. And God knows that, and the enemy does too. And that's where the slave master comes into play. It happens like this. It's the, the family and the dad of the, the older son, around six years old, says, hey, it, it's finally stopped raining. It's 17 days straight. I'm going to take uh, the older one, and we're going to go to the park, and we're going to go um, have some fun, go, go just get on the slide, burn off some energy. And the wife, she's at home with the one-year-old. She says, okay, I'll just stay here with him. He needs to rest. And he doesn't hardly ever sleep. But the older boy and the dad, they leave the house, and she's able to actually get him to sleep. The one-year-old falls asleep. And it is as if the heavens have opened up. And this young mother now has a house to herself and at least an hour to kill. And she thinks, should I watch Grey's Anatomy? Should I catch up on This Is Us? But a, a sharper mind prevails, and she says, I'm going to lay down and take a nap. And she does. And she lays down, and as, about as soon as her head hits the pillow, the slave master, the taskmaster, kicks in and says, have you seen the kitchen? Have you seen those dishes? Those aren't even today's dishes. The, the kid's high chair still has peas on it. Have you seen your... What if your mother stops by? And the taskmaster takes her from a place of rest into a place of getting back on her feet. And working. And you've seen this play out in your life. Because that may not be your story. But you have a different taskmaster who comes to you and says, make one more cold call. Fold one more load of laundry. Fix one more lunch. Go overtime one more time. Call and say, honey, I just ain't going to make it home tonight. Baseball, basketball, football, band, a well-rounded kid. You're a single mom 
So you've got to work twice as hard. See, we don't have Egyptian slave masters driving us and pushing us and saying, get off our butts, make another brick. But we have one on the inside that is never satisfied. And this is why God instituted this Sabbath rest for his people who had came out of slavery because he knew that they needed to understand at the root of being his children was going to be a rebellion and a resistance against that thing inside of them that said your identity and your worth is defined by what you do. And that's the same for us. Because we have a propensity to be defined not by the number of bricks we make, by how many bricks are on the sides of our house. Well, mine's one-sided. Well, we have bricks on three sides of our house. Well, we have a four-sided brick on. And within that taskmaster, we get to this place where we finally get to what Jesus is after as we exit out of slavery and as we live post-Christ, post-resurrection. What does it mean to be a gospel people? See, Jesus, he didn't do good with the Sabbath. He did good, but he didn't do good in the eyes of the religious leaders around him. See, because the time that Jesus comes on the scene, the nation of Israel had been doing their best to keep the Sabbath. And the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, those guys, I mean, they had them rocking and rolling. And they were making sure that everybody was keeping the Sabbath. So much so that even, even nowadays, if you go to some, some very strict Jewish sects, they make it to where, man, on the Sabbath day, which for them is Saturday, you better, you, you have to literally, I'm not making this stuff up, you have to go and rip your toilet paper off on Friday night and have it sitting out. For Saturday's times in the bathroom. Because tearing toilet paper is work. In Jesus' day and age, as silly as that sounds in, in our time, there were things that were just as ludicrous. They were taking this good command that God had gave them and they were setting up fences and fences and fences inside of the fence that God had given them. And the Sabbath was not addition by subtraction anymore. The Sabbath was a burden for them to keep. It was more work to stop work. So we see Jesus, this one time in the book of Matthew, him and his disciples are kind of always on the go, and so they're stopping. They pass by a grain field, and they reach out, and they just grab some some grain, and this is on a Sabbath day, a Saturday for them. And they reach out, and they just take some of the the, the wheat, and they kind of rub it together to get the husk off, and they just start popping it in their mouth. I mean, just fast food. That's the first time we see it in in, in God's Word. They, They are on the go eating it. And some, some scribes, some, some, some of the religious leaders, they see what's going on. And they stop Jesus. And we see what they say. They're like, hey, why don't you keep the Sabbath? I thought you were a scribe, Jesus. And just as Jesus' response to them in Matthew 12, 3 through 8, he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered into the house of God, and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. So he's saying, uh, read your Bible. It's already happened like this before. He goes on in verse 5. He says, Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in their temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Again, read the Bible. In verse 6, he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Verse 7, he says, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. And then, key verse in this, verse 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
To which they heard that and they were like, first of all, let's start with that first part. You're the son of man? What, is it, what does that mean? What are, you, what are you saying? Are you saying you're God's son? Are you tying that back into what we know in Daniel where the son of man is the one who's going to be high and lifted up? What's going on here? And then he says, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. I wish I had enough time today to break down to you and and exegete all of what Lord of the Sabbath means. But I'm going to let the Bible do that for me. Paul gives the absolute best um, understanding and breakdown of what this means in the book of Colossians. I'm going to read it to you. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. If you're taking notes, write it down. Great thing to go and study. Powerful verse. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Paul, in, in trying to help us understand, well, okay, we had this Old Testament Sabbath. And God gave that to us for synchronization and he gave it for us to understand that we've been liberated and set free. Okay, Jesus is here now. What does that mean? What does it mean that he is the Lord of the Sabbath? And this is what I think Paul would give to us as an explanation for what that means. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers of authority, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or, keyword, a Sabbath day. These are shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The point that Paul is making, the point that Jesus was making when he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, the point that Paul is trying to say is every Sabbath, all of those things, those those implementations that God gave, he said that is a sign that points towards Jesus. That is a sign that points at Jesus as the supply. That is one that points to Jesus as the trustworthy one. Everything is pointing to him. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And he's the Lord of the Sabbath because he what he did on Good Friday and how he rose on Sunday. See, he can be called the Lord of the Sabbath and it's so ironic that the very people who wanted to kill him for breaking the the Sabbath put him to death and thus caused him to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And there on the cross we see Jesus, arms nailed into a cross, feet put one over the other and nailed into a cross. And there we see on that cross him as restless as you could ever be, the exact opposite of a Sabbath rest, there nailed to a cross. And as he's there, it's not just pain that is on Jesus. On Jesus is the cosmic restlessness. Every bit of anxiety, lack of peace, lack of rest, lack of sleep, it is all on him as he rides in pain As he becomes our sin. And he does that so that he could say, and he does, it is finished. And because he said, it is finished. Now, even those of us in the room who are the most type A, who are the most perfectionist, who are the ones who have our spices organized, who are the ones who have everything with a label on it, for even the biggest perfectionist in the room could go, it is finished. 
I don't have to be restless anymore because Jesus has taken every bit of restlessness I could ever experience and he took it to him on the cross and it is finished. What this means is Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And when we put our faith in him, he takes on our sin and we take on his righteousness. And when that happens, we have the ability to look at the rest of our life and go, I'm not done, but I'm done for now. Because my Savior said it is finished. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you understand that that is the voice that God is trying to speak over and into your life. And so, again, for those rule followers here, you're probably going, okay, like, so do I have to keep the Sabbath or not? You don't have to keep the Sabbath, but you have to keep the Lord of the Sabbath. And so do you have to go on Saturdays and not do anything? No. Because Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And this has all been pointing to me from the very beginning. But here's the deal. While the rule is not in place anymore, the rhythm hasn't gone anywhere. You will still break and burn your life. If you do not stop and rest in Jesus, it will still end bad. I I think sometimes we underestimate how violent Psalm 23 is. It says, he he makes me lie down in green pastures. He will make you willingly or unwillingly. (laughs) I think sometimes Jesus sees us in our frantic, uh, crazy drum solo pace. And we're running with everything we have after the wrong things nonetheless. And I believe sometimes Jesus just sticks his foot out and lets us trip. Not in a mean, spiteful way, but because he's going to be right there to pick us back up and, say, and, and ask us and lean over and go, Are you done yet, master of the universe? Can, 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 I, can, I, can I take a knee with you and, and, and let you rest in me? And so many of us, man, we've never experienced deep soul rest. Some of you, you've always got one other thing out there. If I can just get a proper diagnosis, if I can just get the right medication, if I can just get the right amount of money, if I could just get this promotion, if I could just get married, if we could just have a kid, and there's all these things that you're just trying to get, and Jesus is saying, I need you to rest in me. It is finished. Rest in me. It is finished. Rest in me. And so the Sabbath idea for you guys, it's going to look different. Like, I can't prescribe to you my version of a Sabbath. If you're going to actually take a real rest for your soul, it's going to look different for you in your life. I think, again, it's not going to be for me, but for many of you, Sunday should be your day of Sabbath. Because you're participating in what the early church did. It was on Saturday. That was the day they were celebrating it. But then this crazy thing happened called the resurrection. And Jesus rose on a Sunday. And they said, you know what we should do? Every Sunday get together and party. Because he's risen. Amen. And we're going to rest in the fact that we have been made right with God. And that's where they gather. And then they worship and they rest. They worship and that's rest. And it replenishes and restores their soul. And so Sabbath was never meant to be this reward for working hard. Sabbath is always meant to be the resource from which you work hard for the rest of the six days. And 
I, I, I thought about it like this, and I, if you're taking notes, write this down. Maybe this is something you put on your refrigerator, especially if you have workaholic tendencies. Work is how you make a living. Rest is how you make a life. The best family memories that you make will be during times of rest. The stories that are shared at your funeral will be from times of rest. Let us be a people who are not so consumed with making a living that we forget to make a life. And so here's my challenge to you today. You're already on the right track. You got here. You're on what the early church would call kind of their Sabbath day. You're at church. You're doing the thing. That's awesome. Way to go. You're here. Here's my challenge, though. I know some of you have stacked agendas for the rest of your day. My challenge to you is to go home and do nothing. To go home and leave them in the dishwasher. To go home and let the laundry be in the hamper. Because we all know you have more than enough clothes. To go home and go, hey, I don't got to work in the yard today. To go home and say, I don't have to get super prepared. I don't have to go ahead and line up all my meetings for Monday today. Because here's the reality. You don't have to do anything. Have to. You don't have to do anything. Unless God has told you to do something today, you don't have to do anything today. But my hope is that you would meet with your Savior. And the murmur in the room is because some of you, even right now, the voice of the taskmaster and the slave driver is in your head. I'm preaching to you. I remind you, you are more than the number of bricks you make. Trust that God can do more in and through you in six days than you could do in seven. So go home and do nothing. I'll end with this last passage Words of Jesus, for those of you who are tired and worn out. It says in Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is life. Today, we're going to get a real life moment to experience what allowed you to have the potential to receive that rest. The broken body of Christ and the poured out blood of Christ through communion. And as you take a second to, to look at this cup full of juice that represents his blood and this piece of bread that represents his body that was broken for you. Remember that your rest cost him everything. And so please don't be foolish and prideful enough to not take advantage of what he gave his life to offer you. And today I pray you enter into his rest. I pray you enter into his peace. That you take the permission that I give you because of the foundation of God's word and preacher of the gospel. The permission I give you today to take a break.
to say out loud, even if you have to, I am not done, but I am done for now. I am more than the number of bricks I make. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you invited us into a rest, a real rest, a rest not for just our bodies, not for just our minds, but a rest for our souls. Forgive us for all the things that we tried to calm our souls, our nerves, our minds, our bodies with. And let us in to a relationship now with you, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Rest personified, peace personified, joy personified. We love you. Meet with us today as we meet with you.